Welcome to Giant Cocktails, a podcast where two lifelong fans talk about the San Francisco Giants while drinking homemade cocktails. Now, here are your hosts, Ben and Matthew Henry. another episode of Giant Cocktails. I am your host, Ben Henry, alongside my brother, the mundaneist, Matthew Henry. How you doing, Matthew? Uh, I'm, I'm lacking interest. I'm, um, I'm, I'm just, I'm mundane, I guess. Yeah, but you are the most mundane. Oh, so I'm not even you just, are, I'm not, yeah. don't even compare me to like the normal mundane. I'm like the mundaneist. That's right. Compare Like when it comes to mediocrity, Matthew, you are the most mediocre. Okay. So I'm the averagest you know, of average. Yeah. You are like, you're not awful. No. You're not awful. Not awful. You're not. No. You're not. You are also not good. Fair. You you have a lot of resources at your availability. Good old chat GPT. <laughs> <laughs> you you you've 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 got uh, a lot of things, a lot of tools and resources that you could leverage. Yeah, yeah. And yet and yet somehow just average. You're just average, but you're not bad. Like that's the thing. That's I want to make this clear. You are the most mundane. You are the mundaneest. Got it. So therefore, Matthew. I think, you know, Bob and I, we've been talking about it, mm. and we know that you only had one year left on your contract, but because you're so average, because you are so just mediocre, because you're just so, like, mm. you know, let's face it, it's really Bob and I, we carry the show. Definitely. You add a lot of backbone. You add, you bring content, yes. right? You're like, hey, guys, I think we should talk about these things. They're relevant. But when you bring it up, Bob and I are always like, that's boring. <laughs> And then Bob reminds me that it was probably just your delivery, right? And so we're like, oh, yeah. okay. So, yeah. So we we had a discussion, though, because we thought because you're so mundane, we thought that we wanted to extend your contract beyond the 2024 season for another two years, yes. Matthew. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. You you now get to be the, the hopo for the next... <laughs> Three years, we're we're signing you up through 2026. The head of You're podcast operations. That's correct. Yes, <laughs> right. congratulations. That's right. I'm putting that other business card. <laughs> all right, all right. Head of podcast. You are the hopo for the next three years. Congrats. Thank you. Congrats. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Um, yeah. It's uh, yeah, yeah. you know, it's, it's hard work being this mundane. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's really because you know you made such an awful uh, show of hiring that assistant that we had that we fired, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we really didn't like them yeah. when you hired them in the first place bob and i we were like this is questionable but now we got the new the new assistant yeah well well first of all bob and i turned out to be right that wasn't a good hire well, sure but now that you've you've but you hired a new one and the new one has a good resume yeah. so we're like oh yeah three more years right, you deserve right. well it. yeah the new one demanded a three-year contract so yeah. i like but, how you're so, aligning <laughs> our contracts thanks yeah right good yeah yes that's that's the thing that's the thing we just that was we felt that was important that the two of you have contracts that were aligned. And on that note, Matthew, since we're talking about jobs, I have a question for you. Okay. 
other than your current job, if you could have any other job guaranteed forever, even if you're not good at it, what would it be? Hmm. I think I think I'd have to go with like pop star. I mean, Justin Bieber seems to have made that work. <laughs> there are a lot of pop stars I think these days that seem to have made that work. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I feel like you know you just have a, a few a few like hooks that are catchy and uh, you know you just you just kind of ride that fame forever. I mean, you have your one hit and then you're 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 playing every like you know what three thousand seat venue for the rest of your life. I think he's playing. Well, I don't know how he's doing these days. I feel like he's fallen off. You know, it's all Taylor Swift these days. Um, but, uh, yes, I don't know that he's down to 3000 people venues Mm. these days, but I could be wrong. I don't really pay attention to him. I really don't pay attention to popular music at all these days. It, it, it seems like it's all kind of mundane, quite frankly, but that's a good choice. That's a good choice. You're famous. You get to just, you know, the work that you do is, is pretty predictable, right? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I like that. I like that. That's a good, that's a good choice. Um, what would you choose? Yeah. Okay. What would I choose? I would choose podcaster. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That's what I would choose. I would choose podcaster, um, which is interesting because it's kind of like, so basically I would keep doing what I'm doing right now, Matthew, but I'd make money at it. Yeah, that's kind of a step up from what's happening now. It would be. It's a step up from what we're doing now. Yeah, I would choose podcaster. And what I like about this choice is I don't have to be good at it. Right, right. So, yeah, that's definitely, that's the route I would go. That's a good route. I think, you know, going from hobby to paid, (laughs) it doesn't really matter how good you are as long as you're getting paid, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, anyway, today is Sunday, October 29th, as we record this podcast. The San Francisco Giants are still not in the playoffs, and it is still October. And so even though the month of bitterness is coming to an end, it is not over yet. (sighs) But, yeah, let's see. I mean, let's talk about, I guess we should talk about postseason. Uh, Matthew doesn't watch the postseason, because even though I'm bad cop and he's good cop, when it comes to the postseason, he turns into bad cop and I turn into good cop. Giants aren't in it. Why should I watch? Exactly. That's what Ben would say, you would think. You would think. But, yeah, you're all Mr. Baseball fan. You're going to well, like watch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I am better than everybody because I'm a pure baseball fan, one. And number two, it reminds me that the Giants aren't there. And I get to moan and groan about it for a little bit longer and I if it's not a I, I shouldn't it, hmm. it shouldn't be a surprise to anybody that I actually enjoy moaning and groaning about things you know but that's kind of doesn't surprise me <laughs> yeah exactly right I mean well yeah suddenly Ben's personality explained <laughs> but anyway what are we going to talk about today well we are going to talk about a few interesting things uh, we're going to talk about trade speculation we're going to talk about what makes somebody a good manager Because that seems to be like, there seems to be a disagreement, this cognitive dissonance where everybody is like, the manager does nothing, and yet they're super important. So we're going to talk about that. And if we have time, if we have time, we're also going to talk about what makes a good fan experience besides winning. 
But before we get to all of that and before we get to the trivia question, Matthew, I do want to bring up what I was alluding to with my superlative today and my question, which is for those of you who don't know, Farhan Zaidi's contract, we now know, was going to run through and end, well, I guess we have known, was going to end at the end of 2024. But now that he has signed Bob Melvin to a three-year contract, in order to make those contracts align, Farhan Zaidi has had his contract extended through 2026. This experience that we have had so far, folks, is so good that it has been decided that it should be eight years long. Matthew, how do you feel about this? Uh, you know, I've never, I'm not one of those like you who is a Farhan hater. I, I feel like... I don't hate the man. I just want him to be fired. <clears throat> okay. All right. Well, potato, potato. I, I, I think that, uh, the, that for me... I feel like it was the right move because you you can't have you can't have the manager having a longer tenure than the GM. And I don't think Bob Melvin would have accepted a position where that was going to happen. So so that was probably the 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 only way that we could get someone like Bob Melvin. But at the same time, I feel like there has been enough positive movement that that uh, two more years is is warranted. And, and I feel like I mean, you. You know, we all want change and we all want it to, you know, we want we want the positive to like start like right now. And when you're making change, sometimes that it takes it takes a little bit of while. And so six years, maybe even. Well, yeah, with a little bit of you know weirdness thrown in one great season thrown in. It's been a mixed bag, Ben. And, and I don't know if it's I think the the cost of starting over would be way more of a problem than to at least see this through for a couple more years. So I'm okay with it. And it doesn't mean that they're necessarily going, he's going to last till the end. Yeah. Right. I mean, this, this is, is just, what I, my argument so this be. is yeah. just, this is just a contract extension. It doesn't mean that he's going to be here for three more years. If things continue to go this way and, and worse then I would imagine that he'd be gone before then. Right. Yeah. And then that's, that's my feeling about this. I'm actually not bothered by this. I, I think this had to happen. You know, we, we actually talked about how weird this was to be hiring a manager at this point in time yeah. with, with Farhan only having one year left on his contract. That's a weird situation to be in. And and a lot of people are going to a lot of people who are up for the job are probably going to ask that question. And I'm sure it came out of Bob Melvin's mouth. Right. Like, right. Yeah. Or his manager, his, his agent's mouth. Like, what is this situation? I don't like this situation. And so this is one way to rectify that situation. And you're absolutely right. The whole point of being fired in a, in a world where you have guaranteed contracts means that, the guarantee, that you are let go before your contract is up. Just because they extended him doesn't mean he can't be fired. And if things go really, really badly this year, right, if the team gets worse and they don't make the roster better, I think Farhan is still on the hot seat. So the contract extension really doesn't bother me. The other thing is, is but I will say this, the counter argument is I, I do not agree with the argument that hiring a new GM or, sorry, a new hobo would be resetting everything. I don't agree with that because I do agree that there have been some things that Farhan has done well and that work is still in place and would still be in place if a new hobo were to come in. 
So like the the players that they have drafted and developed will still be giants, right? The 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 contracts that they've moved beyond will still be off the roster, you know, off of the off of the payroll. Any good personnel that they have found at in with anywhere in the ranks would still be employed by the giants. So all of that good work doesn't just disappear. Right. Like it could be somebody else that comes in and takes the good things that Farhan did, but also has the ability to make game change or team changing trades, has the ability to sign, you know, long term free agents, flashy, big names, you know, the things that Farhan can't do. Well, you know, in another year, A.J. Peller might be available. So, you know, that's (laughs) well, he definitely demonstrated that he could put together a good roster. Absolutely. Yeah. With big names. That is true. That is true. He meddles too much with his manager, though, so I don't think we want him. But, you know, the the, the woman that just left, uh, you know, Florida. Kim, Kim she's available. Yeah. yeah, she's available. And you know what she can do? She can make big trades that makes her team better, unlike Farhan Zaidi. So I'm just saying, like, you know, there are people out there that could take the work that has already been done and then add on top of it. So I don't think it would be a full on reset. But I think you're right. I'm OK with this. I'm OK with this. For now. All right. And with that said, it's time for the trivia question, Matthew. What do you got for us? OK, so I was thinking as I was thinking about today's trivia question, uh, we're going to talk about trades today or, or potential trades. And and I think that that most so I started like the way I started kind of going down exploring this trivia question was any big trades that the Giants have made in the past, what they've given up, have they learned, have they regretted it? You know, has there been a reason to regret the trade? And there are a few in Giants history, but they actually go way back, even like before you and I were born. And I didn't feel like that was really relevant, but or I didn't feel like that was really relevant. Uh, but as I was exploring, I did come across one trade in recent history that got me thinking that I thought that was an interesting tidbit on this. So today's trivia question is what player was part of the trade for Hunter Pence? who ultimately received an 80-game ban for testing positive for performance-enhancing drugs. Melky Cabrera. Okay, so he was a giant when he got suspended, so this that, that may not be the right answer. This feels like a dangerous question to answer, so I'm going with Milky Cabrera because I know he was he was suspended for 80 games for that infraction. That is a fact. It was. That's right. And so, so I am going with Milky Cabrera for my on the advice of my attorney. Okay. I, I plead the 17th. You plead the 17th. Okay. No, I plead the 21st. I don't know what I was thinking there. I plead the 21st Amendment. Isn't it time for the booze, boys? Booze. Bob, yes. Let's do it. What are you drinking, Matthew? Oh, okay. Well, so I am drinking an original cocktail called the Fall of Fig. It's got two ounces of London Dry Gin. If you've infused it with fig, even better. A half ounce of Benedictine. One, or I'm sorry, a half ounce to three quarter ounces of fig syrup, depending on how you like your your cocktail, one ounce of lemon juice, and two dashes of cardamom bitters. You add all the ingredients into a shaker with ice, shake it for 10 to 12 seconds until well chilled, 
double strain into a chilled coop because you will definitely need to double strain this. Garnish with a fig slice or don't. It doesn't matter. So uh, I am not garnishing mine today because I was lazy. Uh, but that's what I'm drinking today, a fall of fig. And you can find out all about that on last Thursday's episode. That's what I'm drinking, Bob. Mmm, that's a tasty cocktail. It is pretty tasty. I'm actually pretty pleased with it. Thanks, Bob. What are you drinking, Ben? I don't want to talk about it, Bob. <laughs> Come okay. on, Ben. All right. No, okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, look. First of all, let's look. let's just be honest. You're not really drinking this. I'm not drinking this cocktail. <laughs> I'm not drinking this cocktail. I'm never going to drink this cocktail again. What did you Unless... drink on Thursday's episode, Ben? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Everybody can go back to last Thursday's episode where I did talk about this cocktail and I really gave it its due for for those people who might like it. But this week, Bob, I, I am drinking the Negroni. What's in a Negroni? Well, Bob, a Negroni is a perfect cocktail, which means every ingredient in it comes in the same amount. And that means this has one ounce of London Dry Gin, one ounce of Campari, and one ounce of Sweet Vermouth. You should also add a large orange twist for garnish or an orange wheel for garnish. To make it, you combine the gin, the Campari, and the Sweet Vermouth in a mixing glass with ice. Stir until just chilled. You do not want to over-dilute the Negroni so that you can get the full Negroni experience. Strain that into a rocks glass over a large single chunk of ice. Express the orange twist over the glass, then put the twist into the glass, and then put the glass down and drink something else. <laughs> no, sorry, no. Uh, then enjoy the Negroni. I don't like bitter cocktails. What can you say, folks? If you do like bitter cocktails, the Negroni is a classic. And uh, I did give it its due in last Thursday's episode if you didn't listen. So go listen to it and under try to understand why Ben hated it so much, but why you might like it. And that's what I'm drinking, Bob. Well, that's what I'm not drinking. The Negroni. So safe to say that you've traded Negroni for something else today. Correct. That is correct. I have, I'm drinking something out. I have swapped out the Negroni for something else. All right. All I mean, right. I, yeah, yeah. So, and if you want to know what that is, listen to next Thursday's episode. <laughs> so speaking of trade. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. So Trading. this offseason, I think there's been a lot of speculation that the Giants will be active in the trade uh, market, mainly because yes. uh, we have a surplus of pitching and, and a need for more offense. And the free agent market. Oh, the free is... agent market sucks. Yeah. Right. 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 So if you want to get better on the offensive side of the ball, other than, say, Shohei Otani and maybe this kid Lee from 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 the KBO, you're gonna have to uh, you're gonna have to trade for it. So, so yeah. So yeah. So I, I guess so. As we're looking into that though, so we have a lot of young talent, a lot of whom we saw uh, debut this last season. Mm -hmm. In your mind, is there anyone that's untouchable? Uh, as we go into the offseason. Right. Well, we did talk about this last week, but 
in the interim, there has been a lot of discussion of like who could be traded for whom. And I think there is one name that I see coming up too often. And there is almost no player on the planet that I would think would be acceptable to trade for. Kyle Harrison. Oh, I thought you were going to say Joey Bart. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Kyle Harrison. Oh, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Then, then, uh, you know, like, like we talked about it last week, you know, in our fantasy, like Ronald Acuna Jr. Like, I, there is nobody that I would want to see the Giants get in return for Kyle Harrison. So Kyle Harrison is untouchable to me. He is an, he is an ace quality prospect who is no longer a prospect, right? We have seen him be masterful at the major league level multiple times. And yes, he had some not so great games, but he's a young pitcher. You know, uh, as you told me off air, there's another pitcher who's really good that wasn't so great in his first season, which was Logan Webb. That's right. The current ace of the San Francisco Giants was not all that and a bag of chips in her, his first season. But he did have some really great performances. And he blossomed as the season went on, right? One, because he was given a full season to perform, unlike Kyle Harrison. But, like, that's a name that, I just to me, he's just untouchable, right? Like, I just want to stop speculating with Kyle Harrison's name for whomever, right? Like, that's Ronald Acuna Jr. or Corbin Carroll. Like, those are the only two guys I would accept for Kyle Harrison right now. Like, stop with the Mike Trouts and the and the uh, Alonzos and the, like, what other garbage you're going to throw my way. Just stop it. Kyle Harrison, untouchable. I, I agree. I, th- I think that the, the upside for for Kyle Harrison is just too hard to ignore. I mean, we've seen him dominate. Uh, we've seen him strike out, you know, double digit numbers. Uh, we've seen him at his best. And so I think that it would really kill me to trade him away, especially like if you're looking for someone like, and we'll talk about this later, but like Mike Trout or Juan Soto, who, you know, especially Mike Trout, who might be on the downside of his career. And then, you know, we see Kyle Harrison become a potential Cy Young award winning you know, pitcher over the next, you know, five to 10 years, that would really hurt. And, and I don't think I'm quite ready to give up on someone like that. And a lot of it has to do with the giants hype machine that has been telling us how great this guy is combined with our own eyeballs, what we saw him this last season. So I'm bought in. I don't think that Kyle Harrison should be on the trade block. He will make the 2024 giants better and we should not be uh, considering trading him. So I agree with you. He is untouchable. Is there anybody else who's untouchable to you? Uh, I think the next one, only because we don't have an obvious replacement, is Patrick Bailey. I agree. And watching the D-bags, well, watching the D-bags mow through the Giants in September for two games, and then watching them mow through this postseason, and then especially get put on the ropes by the Phillies, but then come bounding back, it is clear to me that if you want to beat those guys, you need a great defensive catcher, and they don't come better than Patrick Bailey. So if as long as the Giants are in the same division as those guys, 
then yeah, we need a Patrick Bailey. Yeah, we need and him. I, think I mean, he's a weapon, right? That will help counteract right. when he, maybe the the maybe the next World Series champion. Right. And if they do win the World Series, a good 50% of Major League Baseball is going to go emulate them. Good point. So yeah. that just means a great throwing catcher, a great defensive catcher is becomes an absolute must to defend in this game. And so, yes, I agree. Patrick Bailey. Those two, I think, are both untouchable. But then there's the next the next level of players. There's those players that would hurt to lose, uh, but would almost be necessary to trade for a big name. Uh, someone like, you know, Keaton Wynn. Someone like, you know, we've got some, you know, or even like Luis Matos, uh, Casey Schmidt, guys that we saw this year. There are guys like Mason Black. We have some good starting pitching depth in the AAA. So is there anyone there? Like, I mean, those kind of players we've we've kind of heard about and we've seen some of them and we we see the upside. Uh but at the same time, you have to trade value for, to get value, right? I mean, you can't just trade some nobody to get someone like, you know, let's say, you know, Soto. So, you know, there has to be some, some there's going to be some painful decisions being made. Uh, how does that make you feel when you hear those names being bandied about? Well, it's painful, especially the ones that we have seen like Beck and Wynn at the major league level. I think Casey Schmidt, you know, I think that's he's a little bit easier because I think we know that or it feels right right now like like his defense is very, very strong, but it's not super clear what his bat's going to be. He's like one of those guys, though, that could come back to haunt us for sure. But I think it's easier to let him go. I think there's also some names that are more ve- established veterans that could that are I mean, they're less likely to be traded because they're not as young, but that might be you know, could end up in a trade like, well, one Yastrzemski. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that Wade or Estrada are going to be traded, but who knows if their names come up in a deal and you know that you could fill that slot with somebody else. Right. And I think you could fill both, you know, maybe Estrada would be harder to fill, but I think Wade, like you feel like you could find somebody at first base. Those are names that are hard to hear, but but I think the names that I think bother a lot of fans but don't bother me that much are the names like Wizen Hunt and Mason Black. These kids who we haven't seen at all. I actually think those are the better ones to trade because the second a kid hits the major league level, his his potential value diminishes and his actual value becomes revealed. And you just don't know what you're going to get. And I think when you got guys like Wizenhunt and Black who are super, super high, you know, people are like really excited about these guys. I think that's when you trade high. You know, so I think a lot of fans would be upset that you're trading away this potential. But that might be the exact right time to trade these guys before they've actually hit the major leagues and have been realized. Right. So like I know a lot of us were excited by, say, Meckler and Schmidt and maybe even Matos. Right. But now that they've all played at the major league level and we've seen some sort of their flaws and they didn't turn out to be, you know, a Corbin Carroll. Right. Their value has actually diminished a little bit. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 
So there is something to be said about trading these kids before they reach the major league level when their potential is the only thing that you know and that value is very high. So I think while a lot of people wouldn't want to see Black or or Wizenhunt go, I think maybe those are the ones that should be traded because their expected value is so high and it hasn't been diminished by actual value yet. So... And and quite and let, let's face it, the Giants are so deep on the pitching side that I feel like it's they should trade some of these guys. Right. I mean, that's that's where that's the whole reason of building up that cachet of players is to obviously have uh, enough players to help you on your team, but also to have uh, trade pieces for something where you're lacking. And this is one of those times. And especially right. if we if we if we're lucky enough to bring in Yamamoto from Japan, then you certainly have this plethora of 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 players to to utilize as trade ships. And it right. at this point it doesn't I mean none of like Mason Black and Carson Wisenhunt, they are projected to be solid starting pitchers, which are very valuable in in a major league in a major league team, but they're not projected to be aces. And 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 so what what I think furthermore is that we're I think most of the time you look at trades in retrospect and a lot of them, the the value of the potential doesn't live out into reality. And right. so you know, you're, you're trading the potential for a known quantity. And so I think you, you make those trades every day. Right. If you're, if a Juan Soto is available and it costs you a, a Mason black and a Carson Wisenhunt, then you're making that trade because you know what Juan Soto brings to the table. Well, I, I I don't want to tie it to any specific player because I, I think then I'm it becomes about Juan example, Soto. But yeah. yeah, no, I, I think it because then it becomes about Juan Soto because but Juan Soto has one year left on his contract and, and there's a whole bunch more that you have to then consider in that particular equation, right? One, yeah. You're trading for you're trading Mason Black and, and Carson Wisenhunt in that particular case for one year of Juan Soto, right? And and that's a different equation. I will say, though, that like the, the thing about a Carson Wisenhunt, you're projecting them as being like middle to back road of the rotation starters. You know, that's actually pretty valuable, especially to a lot of these teams out there that just are never going to spend free agent money like the way the Giants can right. and say that they will. Emphasis on say. You know, there's a lot of these like, you know, the Central Division teams, right, or lower end Eastern League teams or lower end Western League, Western Division teams that would really look at like one or two guys who are young that could be four, number four, number five guys. And they're like, that's pretty valuable to me. Right. So you can get a lot of value back for a, somebody who's due to be paid big money, who's maybe going into their arbitration years. Right. So that's why, again, why they're valuable. So, Yes, I, I, I think those guys absolutely should be on the market. And the more that the Giants go get at the top of the free agent market in terms of like Yamamoto or even Snell, like you mentioned, then the more those guys become available and should absolutely be traded. The Giants should definitely be trading away some of their pitching depth. All right. So Bleacher Report put out an, an article that was ranking the top 30 potential trade ships of 2023-24. And uh, so there were some interesting names in there, names that maybe you don't know. They're not everyday names, but guys that maybe are have a, a year or two left on their contract uh, that are young and and also uh, 
value, you know, had good seasons going into this last year. Uh, one of them, the first, one of the most obvious names was Mike Trout. And we we've heard recently that Mike Trout could be available, uh, but the price would be really high because the angels have to show that they're going to trade their franchise player. They're going to get something back uh, that's valuable. So you've already said that Kyle Harrison is untouchable. Yeah. But Kyle Harrison and $95 million, which would bring Mike Trout's annual average salary down to the you know mid 20s, uh, 20 million. Oh, you're saying we would get Trout and $95 million yes. for Kyle Harrison? Yes. Uh, he would be the main piece. There might be some minor other pieces, but Kyle Harrison would be the main piece of that. Uh, does that does that like make sense to you as far as you're getting a Mike Trout, you're bringing down his salary to maybe like twenty three million a year. Now he's kind of in the you know slightly above Mitch Haniger range, and now you've got maybe some extra money to go after some of these other big names. Does that make sense to you, or are you still a no? I'm still a no. I I just no. I don't want Mike Trout. I don't want Trout on his down years. Right. When he's going to he's going to clog up the outfield, right? He was a good center fielder, but now he's just going to clog up the outfield. His his defensive skills are going to diminish. His offense is going to drop off. He's going to become this overpaid DH who once was great. And when he goes into the Hall of Fame, he's going to wear an Angels hat. And I'm giving up Kyle Harrison for that? No. No. I don't want a guy who was good once. And don't get me wrong. I get it that he's still good, but he's also got huge injury, you know, uh, risk. Yeah. It's just, I just don't think that's worth a Kyle Harrison. Now, does that not mean that I would give up maybe a Wizenhunt and a Black and, and you know, maybe some other stuff for him? No, I, I I would consider that. But I just don't think that you can give up a potential all star top-of-the-rotation, ace-quality guy who has demonstrated that he can perform at the major league level for a future Hall of Famer who's on his down years and is going to wear somebody else's hat in the Hall of Fame. Just, yeah, it kind no. of harkens back to the Albert Pujols kind of trade, right? I mean, now you're coming back on somebody. Who's yeah, I mean, yeah. Are we? That's that. It's like it's it's like the it's like the Angels are trying to make somebody else take their Albert Pujols. Right. Right. And then, and then when Trout's contract is up, he'll go back to the Angels and then make, maybe finally make a playoff run with them, right? Okay. No, I don't want all that. I don't want all that. No. Okay. So, so that I agree with you. I think that that's uh, a little bit too high of a price to pay for someone like Mike Trout, who has had a trouble staying healthy. And when he's healthy, he's wonderful. But when he's not, then now you're giving up one potential ace for someone who's not. But there are a couple other players that are kind of speculated. I'm going to give you two outfielders, not not household names but had really good years. Uh, Anthony Santander from the Baltimore Orioles and Lane Thomas from the Washington Nationals. Both are durable, played over 150 games last year. Both have OPS pluses of 114 in Lane Thomas's case. And uh, in in Anthony Santander's case, it was 121 OPS plus. Uh, 28 home runs in Santander's case and 28 home runs actually in Lane Thomas's case. So you've got guys with power, who are uh, offensive-minded outfielders. Uh, to me, those are the kind of guys that make sense for someone like Mason Black and Carson Winston Hunt. 
guys that maybe have a year or two left on their contract uh, that could still be uh, that could we could plug in and actually have a productive offensive outfield uh, to start with. So I, I don't know. I haven't. You're you're probably looking up right now their defensive stats. I don't care about those. I just want to know. You know, is it is this something that intrigues you for those kind of guys? No, I mean they definitely intrigue me. I, I, Lane Thomas is going into his twenty-eight year. Uh, Santander would be going into his twenty-nine year. Those are both reasonably young enough players that I'm not worried about their production tailing off dramatically. I think these are both high quality guys. I think ironically though that these are the kinds of players that fans would get upset about if Mason Black or you know. Uh, or Wizen Hunt were traded for them, they would go ballistic, right? Like I can just see it on Twitter. The the people just losing their minds over Black or Wizen Hunt being traded for a player like this. I would love to see the Giants acquire a guy like this. He's the right age, he's got the right production levels, his their wars are are both significantly like like Lane Thomas had a 3.3 baseball reference war and Santander had a 3.0, you know, war. And we didn't have any, none of our outfielders had those types of numbers. Those are high quality players, right? I mean, that's, that's like, it's not a superstar, but it's, it's the next step below. Right. And, and the giants had nothing like this this year. So like, that is exactly the kind of addition that I would like to see the giants make. Now, you poo-pooed the whole, you know, the whole thing about defense. I mean, defense matters, right? Like, this <laughs> defense matters. Chicks dig the like, long ball, Ben. All right, right, I just, right. I just, right. I want power. No. We didn't have a guy that hit over twenty, home, you know, thirty home runs in forever. So come on. Well, we had Jock Peterson hitting home runs two years ago, but he was also playing left field, and that was god awful. Okay, all right. All right. and so like, yeah. you know, runs runs saved is the same as runs scored. I know it's not as flashy and it's not exciting and you can't just see it in the defense in the slash line, right? And so you don't understand it, but like good defense matters. And so I want players that it can at least go catch the ball a little bit. And, uh, you know, so, so, so yeah, I, I don't know where Santander and Thomas fall on that, but my guess is they're not awful. Uh, so yeah, I would be totally happy to see a guy like the, either one of those guys become giants this year. And the only way it's going to happen is via trade. Yeah. So, and I guess that's, that's the point that we're trying to make with this, this kind of segment is, you know, that there, you're going to have to give up some players for, uh, players that will help the team now. Right. And so potential versus, you know, proven, uh, always hurts a little bit when you're giving away. And sometimes it will come back to bite you. We got uh, Reynolds in Pittsburgh as a prime example of a guy that we let go for almost uh, nothing in return. But at the same time, you know, the potential to have somebody that's a proven major league player that can prove our team now is is valuable in itself. And, and I'm perfectly OK, especially if we have the depth uh, that we seem to have on the starting pitching side to start dealing from some of that depth. Both Santander and Lane Thomas are slightly below average outfielders defensively, but they're not they're not they're, liabilities. They're not Jock Petersons. They're not Jock Peterson. No. All right. 
So okay, so I, so that's we've we've talked about trades. Uh, one of the other things we want to talk about because no one seems to know Ben mm-hmm. is what makes a good manager. <laughs> you know here, you know what does a manager do that you and I couldn't do, right? Right? Because they've got a lot of data available, as do we. We, we could put out a lineup that would probably be close to, if not the same lineup that a major league manager puts out every day. So what does a manager do that you and I couldn't do? What makes a good manager? I have no idea, Matthew. Well, I have a lot of ideas. I don't <laughs> know. But it seems like nobody really knows. And even when you hear people talk about this or you go out on social media, like I've, I've been I follow a lot of ex-giants who played for Bruce Bochy during the World Series years. And they say things like a leader of men. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, uh, oh, oh, OK, well, you know what? Gabe Kapler was a leader and his the people he led were men. So, logic, like, you know, literally speaking, all managers are leaders of men. Yes. So, I'm guessing there's something else more to what they're saying when they say a leader of men. I I don't I don't know what that means. But so so and I th- I think nobody knows what that means, Matthew. But I have some ideas. I have some ideas. Okay. What are those ideas? I think a manager has a good insight into the abilities of all of his players. And when he talks to them, they feel like as if they they recognize that, right? Mm -hmm. They see that. They recognize that he understands what they're doing and what they can do and what their strengths are. And when he talks to them, when maybe they're going through a rough patch or he's explaining to them why they're not playing every day or why they're not used in certain situations, they may not like the result of what he's saying, but they understand why he's making that decision. And so therefore, they are not upset and angry about it, and they're not upset and angry with him. Right. This is sort of like very. I mean, this is just basic people leadership kind of skills. Right. It's somebody who communicates well with the individuals who has a plan and a vision that is well um, communicated to the entire team. Everybody understands what it is. And then when he makes the decisions that he does make, everybody knows why he's making them. That's what I think a good man. That's one thing that I think a good manager has. And I think that's what people mean when they say, oh, he's a leader of men. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that that really changes outcomes very much, though. I mean, like how much how many games a season does a does a good communicator win, Matthew? Like one? Well, like if I you think could quantify goes, that. Yeah, I, yeah, it's, it's difficult to quantify. And I think it goes beyond just communication because... 
Uh, I mean, certainly that's the difference that we've heard around Kapler versus Melvin, right? I mean, Kapler was a person who preferred to communicate one-on-one, while Melvin seems to be much better at communicating to the team as a whole. Uh, so I think that's part of it. But I also feel like there's uh, experience and, you know, speaking from from experience. I, I know that uh, Melvin, you know, in his introductory press conference talked about how, you know, he's been the guy that has sat on the bench. You know, he's been the guy that hasn't been the star player, but was a role player. And he feels like he can effectively communicate that to those who have a role on the team. And and I think that that's important, right? I think everybody as part of a team wants to know what their role is. You know, when are they going to be used? How are they going to be used? How are they valued as a as a team member? And and then be consistent with that, right? And so I I think that uh, and then in baseball, there's also this 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 um, this unwritten rules, you know, kind of deep kind of culture that I think that Melvin has proven that he's better at than maybe Kapler was. And it goes, you know, even to the, I think we talked last week around how he, you know, interacts with umpires and protects his players. And, and I think that there's, so this whole, like what makes a good manager is there's so many components that kind of lend to leading a team. And, and it's not just, you know, analytics and, uh, and, and, and a, and a good batting lineup. It's about more of the unspoken soft skills that really make someone feel valued. And, and I think you're right. That goes to, it doesn't just have to be part of a baseball team. It's leadership in general. How do you make your team feel valued and accepted? And, and so I think a manager is more like a, you know, a leader of a business team than than any other position, I think, in in baseball. You know, he he has that ability to connect with his employees and gets the most out of them. Right. Well, and then but at the same time, it is putting together a plan, an action plan. That a vision. Is, yeah. Right. And a vision well, and a plan. Yes. Well, it's a vision, but it's not just a vision, but it's also like, how do I achieve that vision? Right. And so it's not just about telling people that like making people understand their roles, but it's understanding like why those roles are important and and why, you know, what the tactical or thinking is and how that drives the overall strategy. Right. Like the lineup that you present every day is your strategy, but the changes that you make during a game are your tactics and everybody understanding like why we're doing those things but and also establishing sort of like a you know a a an approach to certain at bats right it's like here's how we're going to approach this an, an at bat in this particular situation and then having the the coaching that happens when you're not playing a game all align to those sorts of situations and having a plan put together that that achieves all of those things. And I think it's on the manager to make sure if maybe, you know, the manager's not necessarily building all of those things, but the manager is working with the hitting coaches and the pitching coaches to make sure that when they're having their meetings with their players or their players are in batting practice or or whatever, 
they understand that those situations are in mind and that's the strategy or the tactics that they're trying to follow because that matches the overall strategy of the team. And then you're making sure that all of those things are being enacted and followed through, which, again, I think just comes down to like it's a lot of thinking work. It's a lot of like thinking through what your strategy, what your vision is, what your strategy is, what your tactics are to achieve those things, and then making sure that you have a development plan that is directed towards achieving all of those things. And then, but again, going back to my original answer, which is making sure that that is communicated to everybody else to as to why you're doing all of those things. Because then when everybody buys in, they commit themselves to those those practices, those sessions fully. And then when they go out onto the field, they understand why they're being asked to do what they do. Like I'm being told to stand in this exact position because I understand the strategy, because I understand the tactics, and I understand why it's being applied in this particular moment so that I'm fully, fully bought into it. And and then I'm going to perform better because I understand it and I've practiced it and I was fully bought in when I was practicing it. That's, I think, what a good manager does. That's what I believe a good manager does. But I think that's all stuff that none of us ever see, right? Totally, yeah. And, and, I, and that's a good point. Yeah. I think I think it's the, what makes a good manager is the stuff that you and I will never see. It's not the lineup that they put out there. It's not the pitching changes. It's not all that. It's it's how you how you lead men, leader of men, in the clubhouse behind closed doors. Right. But I often think that even like the players don't understand it. And maybe right. a lot of other people on the team don't understand it. So I, I think it might be one of the things that only maybe good managers understand. <laughs> and it's one of those things that you could probably try to talk to about to other people about. And it's just going to go in one ear and out the other. So I don't know. It, it is very much a dark art, Matthew. Like, I, I don't know what makes a good manager a good manager and a bad manager a bad manager. But I do know this. It's way more than filling out the lineup card right it it, it, is that because that's the easy i think that's got to be the easiest part of their job right absolutely because like that is something that you and i could do that is something that we could just crowdsource and i (laughs) think you could come up with a decent lineup every day yeah yeah and so that is clearly not the hardest part of the job it's the easiest part of the job but at the end of the day it just seems all very mystical and magical and unclear But uh, nonetheless, I do believe that whatever it is, Bowmel has it. I agree. I agree. All right. So Bowmel's here. But the Giants fan experience uh, has been the same since Oracle opened when it was known as Pac Bell. Like, I, I... has the fan experience gotten stale, Ben? Has there been anything that has uh, happened in the last few years that makes you excited about being a, a fan at the game? Ah, uh, well, I mean, you're asking me like what 
beyond winning, beyond the fact that they're not winning? Yeah, for, yeah forget the winning. Forget the – but you're a fan. You're at the game. You know, like some teams have what the freeze. I don't remember what team has that guy, but he, you know, he's, you know, he he runs against you know some random fan, and you get to cheer on whether he gets the you know they get the fan gets a head start, and then the freeze runs him down. You yeah. know those kind of things. Like like you know we don't do any of that. No, you know we we have maybe like watch what balls under the cap on the jumbo screen, right? I mean, I feel like that's probably as much as we get from the Giants. You know, kind of as between innings. Uh, has what 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 makes a good fan experience? Wow, what makes a good fan experience? Uh, hmm. Well, to me, it it always does. It starts and ends with the team. Okay, so so, and I think I've said this a lot in the past. To me, a good ex- fan experience is more than just winning. Well, no, you can achieve a good fan experience without winning. Right. However, the brand of baseball that you play and and the kind of development strategy that you have has to make me think that sometime in the near future, you will win. Okay? So you have to put a product out there that makes me believe that we're going to win in the future. So to me, a good fan experience is like, so for example, if my team is mediocre or slightly below average, you know, say they win like 75 to 81 games, they're in that range. Mm -hmm. If the roster is full of young players, I'm going to be excited. If the roster is full of a bunch of old, like old veteran players, I'm going to be very unexcited. Because the potent, because that tells me that this is a team on the way up, as opposed to being a team on the way down. Yeah. Right. So that's one thing that makes me excited about the team. The second thing is, is like, they better be good at something. Right. Like, okay, they they don't have good relief pitching, but give me one or two good two good starters and great defense. You know. Or throw a couple of star players out there who, when the game is on the line or there's a clutch situation, you know, once in a while they're going to have a great moment, right? Like they, they make the team good at something. Yeah. Those are the things that I like on the field. You know, off the field, like in the stadium and the, the experience, I, I think it's just sort of like don't do the same things every year. Totally. <laughs> right? Like be totally. plugged into the Zeitgeist. Right, right, right. Yeah, I, I look at the Phillies uh, games and and Bryson Stott and his walk up song, the A O A O K, and the yeah. whole fans just singing it. I mean, it's just amazing experience, and we don't got that. And it, it harkens back to the you know, don't stop believing or whatever you know, kind of you know, journey back in the day. And yeah, but they're still rolling that out. I know exactly, but in the at the time. That was a lot of fun, and we were really engaged in it, and it was exciting. Now it's yes. just old and stale, and right. kind of like let's not do that anymore. And so I feel like there's those those opportunities need to be presented. I will say I did go to a game towards the end of the last season, and I bought some garlic fries, and they were the worst fries I've ever eaten in my life. 
You know, they handed me these cold, rubbery, like, like nubs of fries that just I, I choked down and then had to end. And I was I almost went back and demanded a new a new set because they were just so bad. And I think that stuff can't happen. You know, we're spending a lot of money when we go to these games and it needs to be a good experience. I need to feel like the money was well spent, you know, I and and so I, I'm willing to spend my dollars but I want it to have value. And when the giants do stuff like stale old garlic fries, when that's like been something that has been their bread and butter forever, the food needs to, to be good, you know? And, and so just those kind of things. Yeah. I mean, especially when it's your, your calling card. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's not enough that I bought them underneath the big sign that says garlic fries, (laughs) right? They actually have to be decent. And, uh, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I think like pick a few things and be really, really good at those things and produce them every year. And then other than that, keep upgrading, stay in tune with what is going on in the, the entire world. Right. And then, and then when the fans do embrace something then you should roll with it which is exactly what's happened what's happened in philadelphia right and i think a few years back when i can't remember who it was but it was an ex-giant who was in a you know having a playoff run with the nationals i think the year that they won the the world series when he was like the baby shark thing right i mean that was like something that they embraced and they rolled with and you know i think the giants have done this in the past but i think they've really lost that you know, a perfect example of this is the 2002 World Series thing where where they rolled with the whole, you know, who let the dogs out and those horrible plastic clapper things, you know, like that was <laughs> yes. big and they did it. But then the next year they didn't. And that was the those were both the right moves. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? Because they stayed with the times. They let the situation uh, arrive, and 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 then the, and then they embraced it. And I just feel like that's just that's all been lost. It's all been very. It's all very mundane and boring and samey. Right. And when the Giants talk about how winning will bring the fans back, that's just missing the point. You know, there are plenty of teams out there that aren't winning that are beating the Giants in attendance. And it's because they have a really great fan experience and the Giants are not getting that right now. Right. Right. And I think, again, I think that's across the board. It's both the stadium experience, but then it's also telling a story with your player development and even the product that you put on the field that says we may not be winning today, but here's why we will be winning in the future. I mean, I think the Pittsburgh Pirates are great at this. You know, they always have this great young kid who's coming up and makes all these flashy appearances. And then three years later, he sucks. But 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 the point <laughs> the point <laughs> is, is that they've always got that guy, you know, and 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 I think they you know, that that whole thing, they people buy into it. Because it is presenting a good story and it is entertaining even of itself. And I think that's one really huge failing of the current regime is, is that this is like that has been just totally, totally lost. Right. I think that's one of the reasons why 2021 didn't turn into great fan attendance in 2022 was because you looked at that roster and you looked at what they did and you're just like, how is this sustainable into next year? Right. Like, how are you going to find me another Darren Ruff? Uh, how are you going to how are you going to get career years out of old veteran players whose careers are on the downturn? Like, you, you can only do that once. 
And so I think that's why 2021 didn't turn into a huge, you know, influx of fans in 2022 is because it just didn't look sustainable. And so, yeah, I think it just runs across the board. It's just like you got to stop running the same old retread stuff out there every year and think that it's going to keep working because it doesn't. Agreed. All right. Well, hopefully uh, we, we, we learned recently that the uh, Giants PR staff actually listens to the podcasts. Uh, so I'm hoping that maybe they will hear this and well, and, they listen to other something. people's podcasts at the very least. Yeah, yeah, okay. I'm 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 just assuming they listen to ours too. But hey, guys, <laughs> right? All right. Well, it's time for the trivia question answer. If you recall, the trivia question was: <clears throat> What player was part of the trade for 100 pence? Ultimately, received an 80 game ban for testing positive for performance enhancing drugs. Ben, who was that player? Uh. Well, I'm hoping you've got your facts straight, Matthew, because apparently it was Nate Shearholtz, which I did not know. And I find that highly disappointing <laughs> because I like Nate. Yeah, I mean, it it is disappointing, but it is Nate Shearholtz, you know, who was a the Giants outfielder for from 2007 through 2011. He actually received a World Series two World Series rings, if I if I'm right. Oh, through, yeah, because he actually was traded during the 2012 season, uh, and uh, for Hunter Pence, who came in and uh, you know changed uh, the whole dynamics of the team and and ended up becoming a forever Giant. So, Nasher Holtz is part of the trade that brought in Hunter Pence. So that is the trivia answer. Ben, what are you drinking next week? Matthew, I am drinking a Ben original called the Orange You Glad. It's not bitters because the month of bitterness will be over. Huzzah! (laughs) I am drinking something called the Spirit of Sonoma, uh, which is a, you know, very similar to Ben's drink, actually. And so find out on Thursday how they're similar and how they're different. Uh, tune in to Happy Hour and you'll uh, get to learn about both those cocktails. Uh, there's no opponents to play next week, so we don't really need to go over that. I guess we should wrap this up. Uh, folks, thanks for listening to another episode of Giant Cocktails. If you haven't already, please subscribe. Uh, as we go through the off season. you'll want to know all the great things that we're doing here on Giant Cocktails. Uh, don't forget to uh, follow us on the socials, on Twitter, or X, I guess, if you insist. Uh, Instagram, Threads, and Mastodon all can be found at Giant Cocktails. Uh, and uh, don't forget to rate and review us. If you've liked our episodes, you go on to Apple Podcasts and give us a nice five-star rating. That would be great. Uh, greatly appreciated and very helpful for the show. Ben, it's been great talking to you. We'll check in again next week. Until then, cheers, my friend. Cheers, Matthew. Bye, everybody. Adios. Thank you for listening to the Giant Cocktails Podcast. Until next time, bottoms up. Hasta luego. Hasta luego. I'm so drunk. <laughs>